We take up to read in uh, Pilgrim's Progress Part 2. We are in that section where we take up to read with the paragraph that begins with these words. Now, now while they lay here, the here, of course, you'll just to make the connection, this here is that land of Beulah, the land of Beulah. And while they lay here and waited for the good hour, <laughs> which, of course, is that hour when they will be called away to cross over the river. While they lay here and waited for the good hour, there was a noise in the town that there was a post come from the celestial city with matter of great importance to one Christiana, the wife of the of Christian the pilgrim. So inquiry was made for her, and the house was found out where she was. So the post presented her with a letter. The contents were, Hail, good woman, I bring thee tidings that the master calleth for thee, and expecteth that thou shouldst stand in his presence in clothes of immortality within these ten days. <laughs> now we understand this is not a book of theology. Not intent, intended to be, strictly speaking, a, a book of theology. And of course it is after all an allegory. And much of the much of what's in it is, is, is the form of a picture and, uh, etc. But having said all that, uh, what about this matter? Uh, there's a post that comes and the message is 10 days. Now it wouldn't really matter what the number of days is. That's not relevant. Two or 10 or 20 or that's not the point. The point is that Christiana, according to Bunyan's thinking, was made conscious of the eminence of her passing, even designating a specific number of days. Now, we've all heard stories, and so I don't particularly want us to engage in sharing those stories. I could share my own, and I'm Sure, some of you could share some of your own. But what say you? Do you think that it is so that not all, but some saints are made to know in advance pretty much to the day that they're going to depart? I've read accounts of men who said that the Lord had clearly spoken to their hearts, not in visions or from the scriptures, but to their hearts, impressions of the heart, to make them know that they were going to be gone on such and such a day, and sure enough, on that very day, they were gone. I'm sure you've heard such stories or read such accounts. But what do you make of that? <laughs> 
If we threw that open for discussion, you could open a whole can of worms, no doubt. But with no desire to do that, I merely point it to you that I, I'm very convinced that the Lord may give a saint who is in fact residing in this land of Beulah that he may in fact make them to know with real clarity something of the details of their departure. I certainly have no problem believing that. We sometimes might struggle with that notion simply because we're not that close to him. <laughs> we're not there. We're not in that state of mind or heart. But Bunyan certainly believed it. <clears throat> he believed it. And he put this little incident in his story and specified to her a note, a letter that would designate exactly the day of her departure. I'm not at all sure but what some of you men can pitch in here if you'd like to differ with me or concur. I'm, I've seen cases where I think people who were even unbelievers for whatever reason got some notion of uh, exactly when they were going to depart. I don't know how, I don't know why. I know that happened in the case of my own grandmother. And uh, I won't recount the story completely, but I know that she knew distinctly. And she passed away in the night. She had no sickness. She had no illness. No reason, humanly speaking, for her to die at that time. Wasn't even sick. She went to bed and she died. And she was quite clear on it that she would. <clears throat> She'd even made arrangements with me about some things. Amazing. I don't know. But anyway, Bunyan held it for sure. And then he says, when he had read this letter to her, he gave her therewith a sure token that he was a true messenger and was come to bid her make haste to be gone. The token was an arrow with a point sharpened with love let easily into her heart, which by degrees wrought so effectually in her that at the time appointed, she must be gone. <laughs> well, okay. Scott has a wonderful note here. He said, these messengers seem to be merely emblems of the different diseases or decays by which the Lord takes down the earthly tabernacle when he sees good to receive the souls of his people into his immediate presence. In plain language, in plain language, it was reported that Christiana was sick and near death, and she herself became sensible of her situation. 
The arrow sharpened by love implies that the time, manner, and circumstances of the believer's death are pointed by him who loved us and gave himself for us. He, as it were, says to the dying saint, it is I, be not afraid. Hallelujah. And I wrote, I know Brother Gorman would be surprised, but I wrote the word hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. He comes and he says, it's I. Don't be afraid. That's a blessed passing. That's a blessed dying hour. And uh, Scott says he believes that that's what Bunyan meant in this passage. When Christiana saw that her time was come and that she was the first of this company that was to go over. She called for Mr. Greatheart, her guide. Now she's going to go through in the next few paragraphs. She's going to call different ones to her bedside. If you, This is allegorical and not historical. But it's a beautiful thing because it's based on historical uh, reality that the dying saint calls various ones around their their deathbed to say their farewells and to say their goodbyes and to express themselves to the dying, to to the living before they die. And so that's the scene here. Christiana has been given notice of the, from the post, the messenger that was sent to her, and she had 10 days. And so in those 10 days, she begins to call around her various persons and uh, speak to them. And the first one that she calls, number one, is Mr. Greatheart, her guide. And told him how matters were. So he told her he was heartily glad of the news. (laughs) You'd have to chuckle when you read that. Here she calls this man to her side and tells him, tells him how it is. And how is it? Well, she's going to die. And so she calls Mr. Greatheart and says, I'm going to die. I'm dying. And he says, well, I'm heartily glad to hear it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm heartily glad to hear it. I wonder if we react like that. Well, if it's the saint, if it's a true and righteous saint that you're hearing this testimony from, that ought to be your reaction. I'm heartily glad to hear it. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. And uh, so he told her he was heartily glad to hear the news and could have been glad had the post come for him. He said, I'd have been glad if, if it was to me instead of you. I'd have been just as rejoicing to me. Then she bid him that he should give 
advice how all things should be prepared for her journey. So he told her, saying, Thus and thus it must be, and we that survive will accompany you to the riverside. Hallelujah. <laughs> we're going to be here, and we're going to accompany you. You can just see the scene, can you not? These folk gathered around that bed, and she's going to make her crossing. And they're going to be there to send her off and say farewell for now. Farewell for now. One of the tragedies, and I deal with this somewhat in my book, one of the tragedies of modern medicine is that we rob saints of this scene. We put them into a state of, at least physically, they're unable to communicate. And uh, they are unconscious of the surrounding world. Becoming more and more conscious of the world that's to come, of course. But less and less conscious of the world here. And our medication, when we think that we are doing saints, uh, doing people uh, a kindness and putting them out, we're robbing them of this scene and robbing them of these precious moments when the saints can accompany them. Oh, they're there. They're physically there in most cases. But they're not really accompanying the soul because the soul is is not communicating, able to communicate. I think it's a tragedy of modern medicine. I think it ought to be dealt with very carefully by Christians and thought out ahead of time. Now, clearly, if a person's uh, malady is one that involves intense pain, then I think it's a great mercy to deal with that medically. If that's what they ask, if that's what they want, if they want relief from their pain, I think it's a mercy to do that. But where there's not a pain involved, and there is no other good medical reason for it, we need to be careful with our loved ones that we allow medications to be dispensed that serve no other purpose than to knock them out and rob them of any ability to communicate. I think that's a very frightening thing. And I remember there's a lot of people who are dying in hospital, and especially the elderly. I really disapprove of families who force them to stay there when they cry and say, just take me home. I just want to go home. And die. I think they ought to be allowed that. There is no justifiable reason in my view to rob them of that. If that's what they want. So she calls Mr. Greatheart and there's this wonderful scene where she tells him how she wants things to be handled 
after she's gone. And he assures her that it will be done as she has requested and uh, that they will be there to accompany her to the riverside. So number one was Mr. Greatheart. Number two, then she called for her children and gave them her blessing and told them that she had read with comfort the mark that was set in their foreheads and was glad to see them with her there and that they had kept their garments white. My, my, what a glorious consolation it would be to have your bed surrounded by your own children and that you could give testimony to this, that she could see the mark in their forehead and the evidence that they had kept their garments white. My goodness, what a consolation that must have been for Christianity. What a glorious scene that must have been. This precious mother being able to speak to her children and see them walking in this pilgrim way, keeping their garments clean. I cannot, I cannot exaggerate what a blessing that must have been. Lastly, she bequeathed to the poor that little she had, commanded her sons and daughters to be ready against the messenger should come for them. She's encouraged them, even in her passing, she's encouraging them to be prepared for their passing. As any Godly mother would prepare for their crossing. It's a wonderful scene, is it not, when a family collects around passing loved one? It's a sad scene, however, when the offspring show no evidence of hope of eternal life. Because the dying person in that case realizes that this parting may be forever. When she had spoken these words to her guide and to her children, then she called for Mr. Valiant for Truth. This is number three, third call. She called for Mr. Valiant for truth and said unto him, Sir, you have in all places showed yourself true-hearted. Be faithful unto death, and my king will give you a crown of life. I would also entreat you to have an eye to my children. <laughs> have an eye to my children. And if at any time you see them faint, speak comfortably to them. For my daughters, my son's wives, they've been faithful. 
and a fulfilling of the promise upon them will be therein. So she has this word from Mr. Valiant for truth. She's thanking him that he has always been true-hearted to her. And she's asking him to give her this dying wish to watch over her children and guard them, care for them. And if you see them, thank Speak to them. Speak to them. Because she won't be there to do it. She won't be there to do it. So she's asking him to do it. What a blessed picture. But then number four is Mr. Steadfast. And all she says, all Bunyan tells us of that, of him is that she gave him a ring. <laughs> gave Mr. Steadfast a ring. I'll say more about that later. Number five, then she called for Mr. for old Mr. Honest. And she said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Then said he, I wish you a fair day when you set out for Mount Sinai, and shall be glad to see that you go over the river dryshod. And clearly it does appear to me anyway, as I read this account, it does appear to me that she's going over dry shot. That meaning she's not struggling. She's not doubting. She's not struggling with whether or not she's going to be there. She's comfortable that this is, that she's going to Zion. And he said, I'm so glad to see it. I'm so glad to see it. So glad to see you going over dry shot. But she answered, come wet, come dry. I long to be gone. If I must struggle, I'll struggle. And if I don't, I don't. But either way, I just want to get to the other side. Either way, I just want to be gone. Thank God for that testimony. Come wet or come dry, how long be gone? For however the weather is in my journey, I shall have time enough when I come there to sit down and rest me and dry me. And you'd never guess what I wrote beside that paragraph. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Plenty of time, she said. Plenty of time to dry me and to rest me. Boy, what a testimony she gave to Mr. Honest. My goodness. Number six, then came in that good man, Mr. Ready to Halt, to see her. That good man, Mr. Ready to Halt. So she said to him, Thy travel hitherto has been with difficulty, but thou will make thy rest the sweeter. But watch, be ready, 
For at an hour when you think not, the messenger may come. She acknowledged his testimony that he has been ready to halt. And she gives acknowledgement to that. But then she gives a sweet word of encouragement to him. And says, look, I know. I know that you've struggled. This whole trip, you've struggled. I know that. But when it's over, it's going to be sweeter for you to be rid of that struggle. She is giving comfort (laughs) to others. But she's the one dying. She's giving comfort to others. Number seven, after him came Mr. Despondency and number eight, his daughter, Much Afraid. To whom she said, You ought with thankfulness forever to remember your deliverance from the hands of giant despair and out of doubting castle. The effect of that mercy is that you are brought with safety hither. Be ye watchful, cast away fear, be sober, and hope to the end. My goodness, she is dispensing great spiritual counsel, left, right, and center, in the midst of dying. <laughs> in the midst of dying. Isn't that a blessing? Poor old Much Afraid. I mean, poor old Mr. Despondency and his daughter Much Afraid. She has a very encouraging message from them. She says, you need to focus more on remembering what God did for you, where he brought you out of, and be steadfast. And she offers this counsel to them. And then number nine, she calls in Mr. Feeblemind. Then said she to Mr. Feeblemind, thou wast delivered from the Mouth of giant slay good, that thou mightest live in the light of the living and see thy king with comfort. Only I advise thee to repent of thine aptness to fear and doubt of his goodness before he sends for thee, lest thou shouldst, when he comes, be forced to stand before him. For that fault with blushing. Now she doesn't doubt that he will go there. But she does acknowledge that he is, if he doesn't take up a different way, he's going to go there with this thing that needs to be repented of. And that is his tendency. To fear and doubt God's goodness. And she encourages him to lay that down before he crosses over, lest he 
wind up facing the Lord with this grave sin. <clears throat> McGuire comments. He says, and now the company is about to break up. The company is about to break up. Christiana is the first to go. Death is the messenger of God to man to take him home. It comes on the arrow point. Sharp and painful it may be, but it is an arrow of love. It breaks the cord of this mortal life, but only to bind it again in an indissoluble bond to the heart of the Lord Jesus. Such a one as Christiana has many things to say, many messages to leave, and many adieus to present to those that have borne her company in the way. To each she speaks according to his want, according to his weakness, or according to his strength. She sets her house in order, commits her children and children's children to the good offices of strong and valiant men, Comforts all her fellows with the consolations wherewith she also is comforted. And now is ready to depart and be with Christ forever with the Lord. She speaks her words to all whom she needs to and she's ready to go. Scott says, the address made by Christiana to each of the company and the circumstances of her passing the river are well deserving of attention but require no comment. <laughs> and yet he goes on to comment. When such believers as have long walked honorably, there's the key, there's the key, there's the key to this deathbed saying, this is a believer that has long walked honorably. When such believers as have long walked honorably are enabled to bear a dying testimony to the truth and to recommend the ways of the Lord with the last remains of their breath, a great effect will often be produced. But the confidence of some professors in these circumstances has a very different tendency. Many excellent persons, however, are dispatched from speaking much at all in their last hours. And we ought by no means to judge a man's character on these grounds. For it is remarkable that the scripture is generally silent about the manner in which worthies terminate their lives. And a very few exceptions are found in this rule. We are particularly instructed in the nature of their faith and its effects upon their conduct during life. And thence we may assuredly infer that they died in the Lord and entered into 
rest, even though we have little or no testimony of it at their dying scene. Chaplin compiling some of uh, Bunyan's writings in other places unrelated to Pilgrim's Progress has record of these words from Bunyan. There is no judgment to be made by quiet death of the eternal state of him that so died. Suppose one man should die quietly and another should die suddenly and a third should die under great consternation of spirit. No man can judge of their eternal condition by the manner of any of these kinds of death. He that dies quietly, suddenly, or under consternation of spirit may go to heaven or may go to hell. No man can tell whether a man goes by any such manner of death. The judgment, therefore, that we make of the eternal condition of man must be gathered from another consideration. To wit, did the man die in his sins? Did he die in unbelief? Did he die before he was born again? He that is a good man, a man that hath faith and holiness, a lover and worshiper of God by Christ, according to his word, may die in consternation of spirit. For Satan will not be wanting to assault good men upon their deathbed. But they are secured by the word and power of God, yea, and are also helped, though with much agony of spirit to exercise themselves in faith and prayer, the which he that dieth in despair can by no means do. Let dissolution come when it will. It can do the Christian no harm. For it will be but only a passage out of a prison into a palace, out of a sea of troubles into a haven of rest, out of a crowd of enemies into an innumerable company of true, loving, and faithful friends, out of shame, reproach, and contempt into exceeding great and eternal glory. So in another place, while Bunyan describes for us the beauty, the wonder, the marvelousness of this scene, He tells us in other places, it may not always be so. It may not always be so. But whether it is so or not, Bunyan in that writing was but giving testimony specifically to the testimony Christiana gave when she said, whether it be wet or whether it be dry, I just desire to be gone. (laughs) 
We'll stop there today. Would any like to contribute your thoughts or questions? Yeah, he can't give testimony as he did with regards to the journey. He can't say, I've been this way and I can lead you. He can't say that. He hasn't been there yet. He hasn't made this journey yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That good man. Mm-hmm. Been with difficulty, but he has traveled. <laughs> he has traveled. He said, I will go. I will go. Yes, sir. Yeah, amen. Yep. These are wonderful scenes to entertain, are they not? So many, 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 so many churches. In fact, I don't frankly personally know a single church anywhere. Reformed or anything else you want to call it. That ever spends any time entertaining these scenes. 
How wonderful. What wonderful scenes they are. I love to entertain them. That's why I wanted to republish that work of meditations among the tombs because it's those are scenes among the tombs. Emmerich and I went out yesterday afternoon and I stopped to cut a bunch of these flowers. We love the smell of them. My wife loves them and fills the house with them every spring. I found a location where there was a ton of them and I went there to cut them and it's at the entrance to a great old cemetery down into Gordon Road. And I love cemeteries. I love cemeteries. I'd spend a lot more time there if I could retire. But we found this little tiny tombstone, little tiny tombstone, a little plot of ground about two feet long. And uh, it was the grave of a little fella named Marvin Malroy. He was born January the 1st, New Year's, 1897. Died May the 2nd. Lived to be four months and one day old. He died. And uh, the inscription on the stone, I couldn't make it out. Scoot had to read it for me. It's so decayed with time. The inscription said, Little time on earth he spent till God for him his angels sent. <laughs> Just a little marker, little word. Little time on earth he spent four months till God for him his angels sent. But what I thought about was not the child. I was telling Teresa, I wonder how many times that mother came and stood at the foot of that little marker and wept. Death. Death comes. We ought to be prepared. We ought to be thinking about it. Death doesn't just come for old people. Little Marvin. Four months. And one day, and his angel sent for him. It's a great subject, it's a great scene, very important. Let's pray together.